So let's read here in John chapter 8. And I've been thinking about this topic, like I said a few minutes ago, um, all week about forgiveness, about how God has forgiven us. And people carry things in their life for many years because they don't realize or they don't know how to deal. We don't know how to deal with things that are from our past. And this is a message that can never get old. And maybe someone may say in the room here, well, I've never done anything really that bad. Just give it time. As, as time goes on, the flesh doesn't get any better, and you're going to be surprised at how things come up in your life that you didn't realize that you, that you could do. In John chapter 8, I just want to read this. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him, to Jesus, a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, and it's interesting that they would say teacher, because... They're not talking to Jesus as Lord or Savior. They're saying teacher here. They want to have some kind of um, some irrelevant teaching based on what's going on here morally. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. That means in the Greek, in the very act. And some commentators say that these guys, these Pharisees, were kind of outside the door waiting for this to happen. Because they were waiting to catch her. So they drag her out in the very act. And in verse, verse 5, now Moses in the law, and now they quote, start quote, quoting Moses, their big authority. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should, that, that, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And I like, I like how Jesus responds, responds to this because very often in the Gospels, Jesus is not talking to people based on the condition of the argument that they lay out. For example, People ask Jesus the wrong questions. When the question, a deeper question needs to be asked, the deeper question needs to be asked, why was she there and what was going on? And so Jesus, what does Jesus do? Jesus, in verse 6, they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Their motivation was to accuse. Some questions that people may ask uh, from the religious kingdom or for, from, the, from the secular world are questions that are asked with a motivation to trap. And this is called entrapment. And, 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 and Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. He ignored their question. It's an interesting response, isn't it? He, gets, he stoops down and he starts writing on the sand. And as he's writing on the sta- sand, I know that there are a lot of people that ask that question, what was he writing in the sand? And there's a lot of speculation about it, but we don't know. But the point is, is that he's ignoring their question. He's doodling in the sand. And this is a very tense moment. Here's a woman caught in adultery. She's a very, very ashamed. Uh, these guys are very, very uh, much in their righteous mode, uh, and they want to see blood. And so Jesus ignores the question. And I like that because there are certain questions that God does not need to answer because the issues are much deeper than what people do, what you and I do or what we have done. Uh, we see in the media very often uh, the same situation. Someone messes up and then they want to go after that person in their more righteous moral light. And so Jesus stoops on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. In verse 7 they continue to ask him. They go, come on, Jesus, what, 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 would, what do you say? And he, 
And he raised himself up and he said to them, who is without sin among you? And in the Greek it says, who of you that are not guilty of this very sin? And some commentators say, would this very woman? (laughs) Very interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, you that are without sin, let him cast the first stone. That's amazing. What an answer. The answer here is not what do you say in contrast to Moses. Jesus says, let's not talk about Moses and his law, and let's not talk about this failure. Let's talk about you guys, the accusers. Let's talk about where you're out at. And there's a part of us, there's a Pharisee in all of us, that whenever we fail or whenever we see someone else fail, we ask this question, what should be done? And Jesus says to them, let let." Let me first, Jesus says, let me first qualify you as the accusers. First of all, who are you guys to accuse? Is that a great question? I mean, I think the woman would be there saying, I know I blew it, I'm, I'm a sinner. And then the Pharisees could have said, yeah, you are in trouble. But then there's the deeper question. Who are you guys who are accusing you? The same question is asked in Romans chapter 8. Who, is among, who can lay charge against you? That's a great question, isn't it? And that's a question that we as, our, as believers, when we are under the gun of condemnation, we need to ask ourselves, who is accusing me here? Let him throw the first stone. And Jesus is basically saying there's only one person here that can cast a stone. And who is that? That's him himself, the Jesus himself. Because Moses is not there. Moses can't throw the first stone, and neither can the Pharisees. Why? Because Jesus says here, if you were in, if you were without absolute, if you were without not just absolute sin, but just that particular sin in your life, then you are qualified to throw the first stone. And so what happened? He again stooped down and wrote on the ground. I like this because he's not looking to see who walks away. And this is a great thing. Jesus is not in, Jesus again is not in, is not occupied with who's guilty, the woman or the Pharisees. He stoops down and he's writing in the sand. Jesus is not beholding the Pharisees' sin. That's, I never saw that before until this morning, that he's not looking at the woman, and he's not looking at the Pharisees. He stoops down, and he begins to write in the sand again. Because Jesus is not, is not occupied with things that you and I are occupied with. We want to drag out the woman, or maybe we are the woman that's caught, and we, want to be dra- and we, we get dragged out, or pe- we want to drag people out, and we want to justify our righteousness. But what happens here is, is that they all walk out from the oldest to the last. Why the oldest to the last? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? As we get older, that particular sin here became more apparent in these men that were older. And Jesus was left alone. And that's always a very, that's always a very significant statement in the Bible when you see that God is alone with somebody. We see that Jacob was alone with God at the at the at the at the uh, place of Penuel, called Penuel. And he's alone. And I love that, because that's what God wants. It's like what Ron was saying this morning, that God wants intimacy with us. But we run from intimacy because it, we don't know how to handle it. Sometimes we're like, like, whoa, that's, let's, you know, that's getting a little too intense here. Let's back off a little bit, you know, because... We, we're a people that don't, not only do we have a lot of private space, but we also want, we don't want people getting too close to us sometimes in our soul. Why? Because there are things 
that are going on in our lives, like in this woman that was caught in adultery. Recently we heard about this website where people can go and they can have affairs. It's called, um, what is that place called? Uh, and anyway, there were, I mean, all these people's emails, addresses are out there, and all these people, it's such a big, big, big issue now. You know, and that's, that's horrible, that's unbelievable. But I just want to say, I just want to say, how many Christians are going to be guilty, or, not, or non-Christians are going to be guilty, of the Pharisees, what the Pharisees did. Dragging people out, saying, here's the person caught in the very act, and what do you say, Jesus? What does Jesus say? Jesus says to all those accusers, hey, if you're without sin, maybe your email address isn't in that database or whatever it's called, but are you not guilty of that particular sin? And if you are not guilty, if you're not guilty, then you can throw the first stone. And I think that we don't want to be people that judge other people just because we don't have that problem. Because uh, when this is a message for another time about judging. Maybe next week we can talk about judging. But Jesus wants to be alone with this sinner. Why? Because he loves that person. And this is the whole point that people miss in the law of Moses and that miss in Christianity. God loves people. And he wants to rescue them and deliver us from bondages and fears and failures that people get that we struggle with. Because compassion makes a difference. And I was talking with somebody the other day. And I talk with a lot of people during the week, so don't feel like I'm talking about you right now if you're in the room. I talk to a lot of people. And I was talking to somebody, and I was just thinking, you know, God loves this person so much. They want to get this. They want, God wants to rescue this person from their trouble and pull them out. God wants to pull this person out. And Jesus wants to be alone with this person. Why? Because he wants to have a conversation. And, you know, we are very complicated people. We have a lot of layers, don't we? We're like an onion, right? The more you peel, there's another layer. You ever peel an onion? And you're, you know, and you're weeping and you're crying? because you're. That's interesting. What a, maybe God's weeping when he's pulling back our layers, <laughs> seeing what's in there. The, you know, hurts his eyes maybe. I don't know. I think when Jesus peels our layers, when God peels our layers, he sees Jesus in us because Christ is in us. But, you know, we are very complicated people. We have lots of layers of just self-defense mechanisms. And we talked about that recently. We have lots of little, little layers that, you know, you peel back one and then there's another. It's like Pastor Schaller said this, this Thursday that we have lots of different masks. And what does God want to do? He wants to, he wants to cause certain circumstances in our life where those masks are removed and where those layers are removed. And it's painful. It's painful. But you know something? That's where healing and victory comes. And so Jesus says here, and Jesus was left alone. Reverse verse 9 here, middle of the verse. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So she's standing there and he's still looking at the ground, doodling. So what does Jesus do? When Jesus raised him up, he looked and he saw no one but the woman. And I like that because, again, Jesus is not interested... This is the, really the only time that we see that Jesus acknowledges the woman in his presence. And that's minus the accusers. How does God deal with us in failure? He first deals with the accusers. Those people that don't have any right to say anything or to judge anything in our lives, he deals with them. And he does that by qualifying the accusers. Who are you? And you, without sin, cast the first stone. 
And I love that because that is what we call integrity. You know what that word integrity means? It just means high moral, uh, high virtuous love and high virtuous mercy and kindness. That God deals with us in his patience and his, in his gentleness. And he looks at the woman and he says, he says to the woman, where, where are those accusers of yours? Where are your accusers? Why does he ask her that question? She knows they're gone. He knows they're gone. Because he wants the woman to understand that there's no accusation here. Romans chapter 8, once again. Who can lay a charge against God's elect? Some people say that this woman was a woman that was a, was a believer. And I don't, we don't know that, but, but the point is not, that's not the issue. Jesus says, where are your accusers? And that's the first thing that God wants us to understand in a circumstance like this, forgiveness. He first wants us to understand that there is Romans chapter 8. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation in your life. When you wake up in the morning, and sometimes we wake up in the morning, we just feel like bad people. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I just feel like, man. <laughs> you just feel bad, don't you? And sometimes we don't even know why. Sometimes we go to bed at night, we just feel bad about ourselves. Maybe we just we blew up. I don't know. I don't know what... We just feel bad about ourselves. And Jesus wants to be, he wants to get you and I alone. And he wants to say to us, number one, where are your accusers? And you can put yourself in that place there today. And I can say this to you. God is saying this to you. Where are your accusers? <laughs> Who, where are they? And the, the response here, Jesus, uh, the woman said in verse 11, no one Lord. I like those three words of no one we understand that there's no one there, then we, understand we can see him as Lord. There's this teaching out there, and it's been around for decades, called Lordship Salvation, which we don't, we don't hold to that doctrine in our church, where a person is not saved unless Jesus is their Lord, and can get very controlling, and, and it's not the gospel of grace. Jesus says, uh, the woman says to Jesus, no one. I have no accusers. And then she says, Lord. Notice when Paul is knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and he's blinded and he meets Jesus Christ and then he says for the first time in his life, he says, Lord. And no one can understand Jesus Christ as Lord in their life until they actually meet the gracious Savior. And then she says, no one, Lord. And then Jesus said to her, and then she's thinking, she's thinking, no one, Lord. But then she's thinking, but you can. You could just... Jesus could have actually started picking up stones and stoned her, and he would have been just, he would have been righteous, and he would have been qualified to do that because he's the Lord of Lord, judge of judges. He's the king of kings. He could have done that, and he would have been obedient to Moses' law, and then everybody would have applauded him, and then I think the Pharisees would have followed him, and then everybody would have loved him, but he didn't. He goes, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And that's what Jesus says to us today. Neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. There is no condemnation in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I don't know why we don't see this Bible verse, Romans chapter 8, preached more about on, t- on, 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 on Christian TV. The fact is, is that if you really preach the true finished work grace message, you're probably not going to get on any of these big channels. Why? Because... When true grace is preached, two things happen. Number one, the flesh loses its power and its ability to glory. 
And there's a lot of flesh in Christianity and big popular Christianity that wants the glory, you know, in their power and in their gifts and what they can do, you know, what God did and what God is doing. There's a lot of flesh in that. There can be a lot of flesh in that. But Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And that is, that stands today. That's an eternal statement that will ring through the ages. You know, we live here in the Philadelphia area and we got the Liberty Bell down in, in downtown Philadelphia. That rang once and it cracked. We call that the Liberty Bell. But the Liberty Bell in the kingdom of God rings and it rings and it rings and it rings and it will never crack and it will never break. And it's still ringing today saying, neither do I condemn you. Isn't that great? No condemnation. There's no condemnation today. And some of us may say, you know what? I don't know if I like that because so-and-so out there really deserves some condemnation. It's just a little condemnation to motivate them, you know. Sometimes we want that, you know. A little guilt. Somebody, sometimes I've heard Christians say, well, a little guilt is good. No, it's not. It's not. Neither do I condemn you. And, but Jesus doesn't end there. and He doesn't stop there. If Jesus said, if Jesus ended there, then that would not be the true gospel. And then he says, go and sin no more. I like how he says go. A lot of people focus on that sin no more. But look at the word go. Go. You know, there's a lot of people that can't go in their life. They're just under the burden of their past. And people live in the power of their past so much that it impacts their future and it impacts their present. And they're, they're not living in the presence of God and they're not living in the presence of God's grace and finished work. They're living in the presence of their past. And all of us face that. I mean, every one of us here, the best of us face our past. I mean, we can face it, but it's been, it has been dealt with 2,000 years ago on the cross. And we, some of us, really like the finished work. We love forgiveness, but we are very, very slow to apply it in somebody else's life, especially in our family. And I want to just say that, that when we understand that there is no condemnation, we can go, right? We can go for it. We can move in our life. I mean, what can a person do? that fears no failure, and that's not living in guilt. What can a person do in their life? They can grow. They can experience the call of God. They can, they can discover God's will for their life. They can bear fruit in their life. And when we understand there's no condemnation, and you know, some of us, we've grown up, like myself, we may have grown up in a very moralistic church, in a very good Christian church, and you know, there are certain things we do, and there are certain things we don't do, like God is not thinking in that matter. That's again, when that discussion comes up in our mind or when our, with other people, Jesus is checking out of the conversation. He just he goes somewhere else and starts drawing in the sand. He's like, I'm not in this conversation. And Jesus, Jesus is seeing that there's a deeper issue. And he says to the woman, go. And then the third thing he says, sin no more. Now, how do we do that? I mean, that's a tall order. I'll forgive you this time, but don't sin ever again. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying this, and a lot of times people read verse 11 and they miss verse 12. And that's why context in hermeneutical study is very important. It says this, For I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I just want to ask you, the issue here is light. What light are we viewing things in our life? You know, there are certain kinds of light 
like these ultra fluorescent light, or I don't know what they're called, ultra violet lights, and it's they're, they're very dark. But when you walk into a room with a white shirt, they just I don't know what those lights are called. Light is a very interesting thing, and when we have God's spiritual light, there are certain things that are accented in our life. When we are in the light of Jesus Christ, what is accented? The grace of God. And if we're feeling today down in the dumps, condemned, we've got to understand that Jesus wants to get alone with you and say to you, neither do I condemn you. Pull yourself together. Go in your life. And then the third thing he says, and I'll close with this, don't live under the power of sin anymore. Don't live in the power. And how can that be? Well, when we are forgiven, when we are forgiven, not only are we forgiven, but our sin is removed from us. Leviticus chapter 16. Remember when the high priest would go to the goat and confess all the sins of the nation of Israel on that goat and then send it away into the wilderness? Those sins were sent away and they were no longer a part of Israel's, of Israel's mind or their conscience. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, it says that, that the worshiper through the blood of Jesus Christ has now no more consciousness of sins. How can we live without being dominated by sin and by failure and by our problems of the past? Only through the power of forgiveness. When I understand that I've been forgiven, that does something to the inner psyche inside of me, and that actually breaks the power of sin. When someone knows, they, when they truly understand forgiveness, there's no more desire to go in that direction, because the power of sin is in what? The lack of forgiveness. I'm going to close with that. The power of sin in our life is, because of the, is when there's a lack of forgiveness. When we're not living in an environment of forgiveness, the people are going to be living under the burden of the memory of their sin. Amen? When we understand that we have been forgiven, and not only has it been have we been forgiven, but in Psalm 103, verse 12, and it's on our bulletins this morning, it's been separated from us as far as the east is from the west. And this is something that we need to be re-indoctrinated in month after month after month, and I don't think we could talk about it enough, that you are forgiven, and not only are you forgiven but it's been forgotten. And it's not going to be part of the topic of conversation with you and God anymore. Sometimes people put people on probation. Well, you're going to be on, you're forgiven, but you're on probation. God doesn't do that. I mean, we can't be naive. People have an old sin nature, and we, we understand that. But, but God is not putting you and I on probation. And he's, he's not saying, well, forgiveness stands as long as you don't do that again. Forgiveness stands. It stands. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And I just want to finish with that, that Jesus' love passed the knowledge of her sin. Think of that, Ephesians 3, verse 19, that we began with. Jesus was not living in low information or in wrong information. He had the right information about that woman. And what happened? Some believe that that woman was actually Mary, that later on turned out to just turned to be an amazing follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Why? Because grace changes people. Forgiveness changes people. It's the only thing that can transform a person's life. Not a performance system and not a new works program, but it's forgiveness. And if you are living under the, under the effect of somebody else's sin in your life or your own sin, understand this. There is no condemnation. 
And so therefore we can get up and we can go forward in our life, not living with the burden and live in the lightness of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.